Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 81 of the Speaking Club podcast. Wedding speeches can be terrifying, and I'm not sure who's more scared, the speaker, the wedding couple, or the audience. Welcome to the Speaking Club podcast, because making them laugh is the secret sauce to your speaking, pitching, and business success. And now your host, Sarah Archer. Hi there, and welcome to the show. So this one came about for two reasons. Uh, Firstly, I recently attended a wedding and watching the speeches reminded me how tricky these talks were to get right. And then, secondly, my friend, Chris Waddell, mentioned to me a while ago that he felt that the first wedding speech episode wasn't as accessible as it could be. So, when I heard Chris had just finished delivering another wedding speech himself, I couldn't resist inviting him onto the show so that he could make this one even better than the last one. So Chris is a graphic designer, amazing photographer and part-time funny man and compare. He was one of the first comedy students I taught back in 2011 and we've stayed friends ever since. Uh, He's also done quite a few of my photos too. Now, although this show has a wedding speech slant, the tips and hacks that we share are going to be valuable for making any talk more impactful and engaging. But just before we head over to the interview, I wanted to let you know that the doors are now open to my new story-led speaking program. And for over 10 weeks, you get training videos, exercises and live group coaching with me. And my aim is that by the end of this program, not only will you have become a more confident and skilled speaker, able to use stories and humour with impact, but that you're going to get a new talk or your current one powered up all ready for you to grow your brand, your business or change the world. Now, this first launch is for the beta program. And as you may have heard me say before, I'm only taking 30 students and the price is going to be discounted by 25 to 50 percent of what it will be come the full launch later on this year, October, November time. So it is a steal. Uh, If you want to grab a spot to accelerate your journey towards being a sensational speaker, then head over to www.storyledspeaking.com. Check it out. It's got uh, great bonuses too. And see if it's a fit for you. And if it is, well, then I'll see you inside of the program. But don't hang around as the doors are going to close on Sunday, the 18th of August at 4 p.m. GMT. Or when we hit 30 students, whichever comes first. So that URL again is storyledspeaking.com. Right, let's head over to the interview. Oh, need to let you know, at times you may hit a little crackle, which is down to my bad miking up skills. But I know it won't take away from the value you're going to get from the show. Let's go over now. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Chris Waddell. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. And another show where we're in person, I can see you. Well, that's unfortunate, but (laughs) I'm sorry about that. I can only (laughs) apologise. No, it's going to be brilliant. So cool. Can you tell me a bit about what you do when you're not doing wedding speeches? Um, My main job is a graphic design job. Um, I'm also a photographer and I dabble as a hobby with a bit of stand-up. And I do quite a bit of volunteering. Oh, good. Oh, let's dig, dig into that a little bit. So um, there's quite a, quite a few things that you do there. So you've been a graphic design artist for, for a long 30 time? 30 years. Okay. Yeah. 
And what what attracted you to that? Oh, since I was a teenager, I was desperate to draw and do lettering and, you know, always picked up my dad's copy of Creative Review that he brought home from his marketing office and all that kind of stuff. Oh, I didn't know your dad was in marketing. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. And so the photography, tell me more about that. Um, something, again, I've been interested in since college. Did a fair bit of college as part of my design course then. Um, just did it as a hobby. And then I spent 10 years retouching other photographers' work mm-hmm. and um, thought, well, I can take a ropey shot and retouch it, which is basically what I was doing with these guys' work. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, ended up uh, getting to a point where I take half-decent photos for clients myself now without needing too much retouching myself. It's great to have both things working together because, obviously, they complement each other enormously. Yeah, and I'm going to hold my hand up here. I am a fan. I have a copy of what Chris is going to talk to you about. Um, tell tell people about um, the end of the Pier show. Oh, the end of the Pier show. Ah, right. Well, that isn't me doing stand up on the end of the pier. <laughs> that's, that's me standing on the end of the pier, taking photographs back down the pier, or or maybe on the beach taking photos of the pier. I published a book. Um, I think two years ago now. Although time seems to move on at a pace. Yeah. Um, of all the remaining pleasure piers in the UK. Obviously, there's an international audience for... There, there are other peers in the world, aren't there? Uh, yeah, Australia's got peers, America's got peers. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm working on, on permission from the uh, boss at home to see if I can wangle a trip over and do a stateside version of the same maybe one oh, day. Wow. But uh, Yeah, there's um, peers around Europe as well. But it's a particularly British thing to have the idea of, you know, people would head off to the coast on a train, for example, Brighton straight off the train onto, you know, a couple of piers at the time, one of which is now derelict. Um, Blackpool's got three piers, you know. Um, wow. They're just a massively important part of British history and culture. And so what, what was the purpose of the pier? Um, I guess to connect people with, with the sea, you know, without having to go on a, a steamship or similar, and often actually used as jetties for steamships. Oh, right. So, um, you know, there would be... A, the promenade that people would make, they'd dress up in their Sunday best and, you know, that would be part of it. And they were just massive badges of pride, you know, for um, municipalities to kind of say, well, look how well we're doing. We've built this great big pier and come to our seaside town rather than the other one up the road. I see. So it was like an attraction in and of itself. Yeah, in and of itself. I guess the modern equivalent would be, um, you know, Boris's idea of the garden bridge or something like that Mm -hmm. that everyone sort of thought was ridiculous Um, and they're probably right you know because actually the thought of building a a bridge that goes nowhere (laughs) which is basically what a pier is you know it seems bizarre but uh, yeah they're a mixture of uses but um, the idea of a pleasure pier was um, important to British culture back in Victorian times and we've just about got 60 left. And how did you get the idea for this project because it took you a long time didn't it? Um I'd kind of grown up near Brighton and Worthing and um, spent a lot of time down at those places. I was born near uh, Mumbles Pier. Oh, I right. lived near Penarth Pier as a nipper. Yeah. Um, and I've always revisited those places because of family. And I've just always loved the sense of fantasy that you get when you walk out onto a pier and, you know, the idea that you could be on a steamship reenacting a scene from Titanic <laughs> or something like that, you know. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I just, my fondest memory of kind of being really young, maybe about four years old, just, you know, when you start school, was sitting on a wall at school and pretending to fish and just really liking the idea of just it being a relaxing place to get away from things and to kind of lose yourself and just, yeah, you literally feel like the horizon's infinite. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Cool. And um, so the book's out and it is a beautiful sort of coffee table kind of book, isn't it? Yeah, economically, it was probably one of the stupidest decisions <laughs> I've ever made. But um, I'm glad I did it. I was well supported. I've probably just about broken even on the cost of producing the book. Um, I haven't broken even anywhere near the cost of visiting all these places. But visiting these places was a pleasure, you know. So you could actually do a talk on Pierce. I, I mean, you haven't done this. You've done a book. I that haven't. Would be quite yeah, interesting. people people keep trying to suggest this, and um, you know, go and do the camera club talks and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I don't know why, but I've just resisted resisted for the moment. It's not because you're shy of getting on a stage, is it? Because you mentioned stand up comedy, uh, and you also compare stuff as well, don't you? I compare quiz nights for Samaritans quite often. They seem to go quite well. Um, we raise about twelve hundred pounds a year with the quiz nights for them. Um, and uh, yeah, I've dabbled with a bit of stand up. <laughs> yeah. Something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. And then uh, your course came up eight years ago. Yeah, it's 2011, I think. Something oh, like there that. you go, eight yeah, years. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I stepped onto that course and uh, never looked back really. It taught me so much about public speaking as well as comedy. Yeah. Um, which was great, really, you know some lovely ideas about brevity and yeah. self-deprecation as well you know that, yeah. that have proved useful ever since and uh, yeah I've gone from strength to strength with things like quiz nights and stuff like that comparing those which I missed one year and I was very sort of honoured that they said can you come back because it didn't go as well <laughs> with the year that you missed you know so um, I must have been doing something okay next stop the Emmys or the Oscars or something like that yeah I'm not quite under Ricky Gervais <laughs> territory on that yet I mean I'm probably just as offensive but um, that's a whole other discussion <laughs> cool well um, what I got you on the show for is because now we've already done a wedding uh, sort of best man speech episode and it was one of the earlier ones of the speaking club um but i remember you said to me quite a while ago that you didn't like that episode so tell tell us why that was um i was pinning my hopes on it because i had a speech to do myself now the last time i did a wedding speech was my own um which was a uh, 27 years ago and then before that i'd done a speech for my best friend at school which had gone very well um, you know, people used their table numbers at the end of it and held them up as scorecards. Oh. So it, I think it had gone reasonably well at that at that time. But um, I thought, well, I'd really like to do a properly good job because I was delighted to be asked by my brother to do his best man okay. speech and to support him through the day and uh, all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, I guess I listened to it and I just, I'm a cynical old bugger. <laughs> and there were bits of it that I just thought, hang on a minute, this is really unrealistic because your previous guest had said something about knocking up a tune for his bride and groom, you know, because he played the piano. And I just thought, 
who the hell plays piano these days? You know, I mean, I mean, it's probably about one in 20 of the population that can do that. I don't know what I'm making that figure up like a politician, but, you know, who does that? You know, yeah. I can't play piano. What, like, just bash out a tune, like, you know, kind of uh, some old, old school entertainer. But, um, yeah, so I just thought that was unrealistic. So yeah. I kind of backed off from it because I wanted something that was a little bit more accessible, yes. I guess, yeah. and a little bit more kind of, Right, here's some really neat ideas. And I guess a bit more going back to what we studied with your comedy course, yes. where there were some kind of basic truths about how you should do it. Yeah. Yeah, write a song, great, if you can do that. But all these other bits, I just felt, were kind of a little bit out of your average person's reach. Yeah. So that's why I kind of kicked back a little bit on that. <laughs> I, well, like, listen, I took it on board. And now that you've done your best man speech, I thought I'm going to bring you back on because it went really well, but I mean, we'll come to that. But yeah. I thought, let's talk to you. You've got, you've done stand up, you've done speaking, so you've got some of those skills uh, and experience, and 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 sort of bringing it into the wedding speech uh, field. Now that you've done that, you know, what, three times, but this one went particularly well. Yeah. So okay, so let's start with that. Yeah, your brother asked you to 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 be the best man, do the speech. How much lead time did you have to start off with? Over a year. Oh, that's quite a long time, isn't Which it? Which was lovely. Okay, yeah. cool. Which was really great, actually, because it just gave me so much thinking time. Okay, cool. So a year, brilliant. Yeah. So did you have any ideas, at, you know, about what you were going to do right at the beginning? Or did you, did I was things com- change? I was completely in two minds. Yeah. I thought on the one hand, I would desperately try not to be funny and just do something very sincere and very brief yeah because of my reputation of a bit of a clown yeah within the family environment and the fact that people knew that I did stand up etc etc it started to dawn on me that there was an expectation that the reason I'd been asked was he'll be funny did you feel that was like extra pressure yes (laughs) (laughs) okay um so I thought Look, I've got the experience with doing a bit of stand-up now. I must not shy away from that aspect of it. So I, I really toyed with the idea of going down the sincerity route and jumping to something really nice and simple. My brother had been ill a couple of times, you know, where he'd been hospitalised, and oh. I felt that it would be appropriate to express my love for him and yeah. appreciation of him, et cetera, et cetera. And then I thought, no, I'll sod it, I'll roast him. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And did you, so right at the start of the journey, uh, apart from listening to uh, to that Speaking Club episode and sort of like getting wound up, <laughs> did, did you do any other research to um, help you put it together? No. Actually, what I relied on then were my writing skills from writing a comedy set. Right. Okay. So I treated it in very much the same way. So I, I kind of worked on the idea of a strong opening gag, yeah. a bonding gag where yeah. I would take the piss out of myself yeah. um, and, you know, going beyond that into kind of telling a bit of a story about him, but keeping everything punchy and short, lots of short statements, lots of short jokes, and also aiming for at least two laughs a minute. Yes. You know, and looking back at the video, I think I pretty much managed it. Okay. Are we going to be able to link to the video? Is that um, possible? I'm not sure, hopefully. Yeah, I'll, I'll just we'll see if they're look. okay with me extracting that or not. But, um, yeah, there, there, there's some pretty 
good jokes in there, I hope. But um, I think the main thing that I, I kind of worked on after that was writing some original stuff based yeah. on my knowledge of my brother. Um, some environmental stuff based on where he lived, yeah. based on the football team he supported. And also, because it wasn't a stand-up set, nicking some jokes. Yeah, yeah. well, it's true. You can, you know, one of the... So we, we, we always say on the course, one of the cardinal rules... Um, is that you don't, you know, you don't take other comedians' jokes. It's you can take other comedians' put downs. That's completely mm. fine, mm. but not other people's jokes. But in this scenario, it, you know, no holds barred is fine. Well, I would say so, particularly for somebody who's looking for material for yes. a best man speech yeah. themselves. Is is just look at comedy on YouTube. Look yeah. at your favourite comedians. Is there a joke that's relevant? Is there a joke that you can twist? I was going to say tweak it. Yeah. Yeah, and make appropriate or link in to the story that you're telling. That's what I worked hard on, was actually kind of getting enough material together and then building up a rhythm to it. So it did very much have a beginning, a middle and an end. And have that narrative arc to it. Definitely. Cool, okay. So what did you have any sort of guiding ethos? Did you like? Did you say, I'm not doing any bad jokes about the bride or anything like that, any sort of, sort no, of principles? No, and, and there were some jokes in there that were borderline dodgy on that on that front but they were so obviously made up ah oh, right I'm with so you. that they weren't really directed at him yeah. and it was so clear that it wasn't casting aspersions yes. on him particularly that they yeah. were just cheap gags at his expense yeah so they were specifically avoiding any kind of reference to the fact that he'd been married before yes. I mean that would have been a complete no-no obviously yes. so I didn't go there you know um but you know I, I did tell a gag that um Reference the girls' school opposite our boys' school that we went to, you know, and, and the fact that he, um, despite the fact we all called it the Virgin Megastore, that he never had any luck with any of the women there. Virgin <laughs> <laughs> Megastore, I should say. Virgin, who now make planes and everything else, used to have a record store, which was called the Virgin Megastore, mm. um, which Chris has yeah. done a nice pun yeah, on there. You have to explain that to sort of 75% of your audience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, there, and I think this is true of comedy. I think it's true of speaking. There is a line, isn't there? And you, you need to know your audience and also know, I guess in this case, your client was your brother. Like yeah. if, you, if we were comparing this to a corporate keynote job or anything like that, the client here is your brother. So although they're up for a laugh, there's still, you've got to keep them on side. Yeah, I don't think there's any excuse for being unnecessarily brutal with somebody. No, I no. think some light digs, some yeah. cheap gags, that's fine. I referenced the fact that he'd genuinely fallen off a roof as a teenager. Yeah. He reminded me um, when we'd been out on, on a little trip away together that uh, I'd used to call him Frankenstein as a kid because he had a slightly <laughs> square head. I don't think his head is anywhere remotely cuboid at all, but it just became something yeah. that then became my callback throughout my yeah, speech yeah i almost called it a set then, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um it became a callback and every time i referenced it everyone laughed because they felt like they were part of this in joke then you know yeah. and that was the other thing i was going to say is actually avoiding in specific in jokes yeah make sure you include people in it you yeah know, i think to uh or if there is an in joke give it ex context explain it yeah. somehow or, or make it relevant yeah know? yeah cool okay so take me through step by step you had a year 
you know, how you pulled everything together. So if, the process, if you like. My process, the same as if I write comedy material, is um, open my notes mm-hmm. on my iPhone. Every time I get an idea, mm-hmm. it goes in there, regardless of how stupid, surreal, ridiculous, whatever, it goes in my notes. Yeah. I had a separate notes file for my brother's speech, mm-hmm. and I filled it regularly. You know, I was putting ideas in there after idea after idea and eventually felt that I had enough that I could edit. Yeah. You know, so I had this just stream of consciousness about, right, oh. And if I saw a joke online as well that I thought particularly Gary Delaney's great source for some really good, you know, I love his joke about, are we okay to say? Yeah, go go for it. How's your podcast in terms of (laughs) ratings these days? We can beep it out, don't we? (laughs) He said, one of Gary Delaney, I didn't use this, but one of my favourite Gary Delaney jokes is that he says that his friends just had a penis extension and that his house now looks ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which I love. Yeah. And so it was a case of picking up jokes like that. Yes. Um, and then adapting them to, you know, my brother's scenario. Like I said, he'd been in hospital for a little while, so I talked, you know... I'd mentioned the fact that he'd been in hospital so much he was now on the Munchausen's watch list. Yes. So stuff like this that you just weave it in and that really became my beginning, middle and end. I kind of started with his early years. I built up through his teenage years. I talked about his adult life and his illnesses and actually then aimed, my aim was to finish sincerely. Yes. To really bring everyone kind of on this journey of like laugh, 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 laugh. Right. Now I'd just like to say how happy he is. Yeah. And I'm delighted. Yeah. And just kind of bring the boat into shore at a sensible speed. Yes. And then I topped it off with a really offensive joke just to kind of kill <laughs> kill everyone at the end, you know. So it was just, you know, keeping everyone guessing as well. Yeah. So none of it was standard. Yeah. No, that's really cool. So let me, so we've got a notes file. One of the things that, you know, I, th- I don't know if I say this on, on, on the course but your mind is always working. The, the thing, whatever we do, the best thing to do is ask our mind questions. Mm. And, and beca- you know, you might not get the answer there, but your mind is always working in the background, whether you're in the shower, whether you're in the car, whatever it is you're doing, if you set your qu- a question for your, for your mind, it'll, it'll deliver answers, you know, mm. and that's probably what you, you, you did. You I don't consciously ask yourself a question and then put things in the notes file. Or were you, did, I mean, I don't, that is a question. Did you consciously ask yourself one or did you just have like this? Some of it was opportunistic. Yeah. You know, something would pop in my mind. Yeah. Um, but I guess you said, I need to find material for this wedding speech. That was, I was the, that was always in the background. Yeah. So constantly for, for that whole year my mind was buzzing with, is that usable? Yes. Is it sensible? Yes. Is it offensive? Is it too offensive? You yeah. know, can I include it? Um, does it make sense to his life? Yes. You know, so I was asking myself these questions all the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I got there in the end. Cool. So we've got a, a note. So you had an overarching objective was that you wanted, I guess I haven't mentioned that, but I mean, we, we kind of have talked about it. You wanted to make them laugh. Definitely. You wanted to finish on a really positive, sincere, apart from the offensive joke, but yeah. sincere. Yeah. So, um, and you wanted everyone to be included and for them to enjoy it. Definitely. Um, the other thing, I've become slightly obsessed with um, comedians like Stuart Lee, for yes. instance, who play with people's expectations. Yes. So I deliberately played with people's expectations at the start. Yeah. 
in that I arranged for um, the minute I st- stood up and took the microphone, I arranged for my wife to call me. Yeah. And I took a fake phone call. And I should add that I've done a little bit of um, workshopping around uh, improv. Yeah. Which helped with that. So yeah. I improved a phone call with a, a fictitious friend of mine who I then apologised to and said, I can't take your call. I'm in the middle of my speech. Yeah. But I kept the audience waiting and I deliberately wanted them to feel like it was a really awkward moment. Yeah. And um, <laughs> that idea of, is this for real? Is this guy yeah. having us on here? Um, so I really kind of played with that for a good kind of couple of minutes. Yeah. Um, and again, I included some cheeky sort of little digs at my brother as well. Totally made up. One of them. Yeah. One of them true. <laughs> but they'll never know. Yeah. And it didn't matter because it was obviously by the time I'd got onto the sort of second statement in that pseudo phone call, people had tweaked. Yeah. Oh, this is part of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, okay. What's he doing with this? You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Um, and I kind of really didn't acknowledge the audience then for another minute after that because then my brother's name's Nigel and his bane of his growing up was the XTC song Making Plans for Nigel. Yeah. So I mimed a, a verse and a chorus of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I hadn't actually spoken properly in yeah. terms of giving a speech up until that point. But that's really cool. So when so we always say in stand up, open with your best material. Yeah. And in speaking, we say have a lightning bolt opening because you want to grab the attention of the audience and shock them. Yeah. It, you know, into stopping what they're doing and go, what's going on here? Um, so that worked. That's what you did. That worked right? brilliantly. And then I opened with um, uh, a bonding gag, as we've discussed with the stand up. Yeah. So the idea that I made fun of myself. Yes. And my standard go-to on that is to say that, you know, I look like the uh, missing link between Phil Mitchell and Grant Mitchell off EastEnders, for yes. anyone that, that doesn't know, basically two middle-aged, bald, fat men. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one less fat than the other. Yeah. And, and Chris is... <laughs> I'm stuck in the middle, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was my bonding gag, my go-to bonding gag, and then and then... That got people on side. So yeah. immediately I haven't attacked my brother at that point. Yeah. You know, I've attacked myself. Yeah. I also described myself as his worst choice for a best man, yeah. that I was shorter, that I was less wealthy, etc., etc. You know, just to get people the idea that I wasn't going to be an asshole just to him. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, you yeah. might have to bleep that. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, that I, I was kind of fair game myself, really. And that also, again, like, is, is making yourself likeable because you've got to get the audience on side and that's what you were doing with that. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. My brother has stitched me up before I got to the mic anyway and had told everyone, oh, my brother likes to do stand-up, which uh, kind of really set their expectations high. Yeah. Um, but uh, I got some really lovely compliments after the whole deal so. brilliant okay so we've got the notes file yeah. gathering material at what point in the year I mean like in the time period leading up to the thing did you actually start sitting down and putting putting it together crafting it probably six to four weeks before okay cool I didn't want to be a last minute Charlie on it I really yeah. wanted to kind of get it sharp I started to actually put the notes together into a, into a sensible form edited um, took out all the unnecessary words. Yes. Tightened, tightened, tightened yeah. constantly. Yeah. And then rehearsed. And I, I think even on the day I relied on my notes. So I kind of feel that I didn't rehearse enough. Yes. If you think you need, you know, a few days of rehearsal, double it. Yeah. 
How long was the speech? About 10 minutes. Yeah. But with the laughs, it kind of extended to about 16. Cool. Which was quite something, which I'm kind of looking back, there are huge gaps of, oh, right, I'll just stay quiet now because everyone's laughing. Laughing, yeah. Which was lovely. Yeah. Which was so generous of them and such a relief for me. Yeah. To actually feel that, oh, I haven't offended 100 people sat in this posh yeah, garden yeah. in Essex, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> cool. So, so you got it into some sort of script, kept on editing it, editing it until it was tight, you know, because you went 10 minutes, like... It's a long time, but it's you haven't got that much in you know, to fit that much in. Yeah, it's it's actually it's quite quite quick. Yes. Um. So so it's important to make sure things are tight. So how did you re- did you learn it? Um. I did the sensible thing, which was write in one place, rehearse in another. Oh yes, create a critic stuff. Yeah. Um. Stood up to rehearse as well because yeah. that's how I would be delivering it. Perfect. Um, yeah. So yeah, all those sort of basic kind of speaker techniques of. Yeah. of um, you know, trying to get that muscle memory, yes, that, that embedded. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was pretty pleased with it. And even when I referred to my notes, I did manage to kind of, at least they were a prompt, and then I did manage to look up again and, and talk to the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tried to keep deadpan um, mostly. I cracked a few times. Yes. I failed miserably <laughs> a few times, but, uh, yeah. Cool. And then so so four weeks out, you started six to four to six weeks out, you started uh, putting it together and rehearsing it. Yeah. Um, did you do anything else extra to prepare yourself for, for the day mentally or because were you anxious? Were you nervous? Um, probably not until the actual day. I guess that comes from being a little cocksure. But yeah. um, I got to the actual day and then I started to kind of fidget a bit. Yeah. Um, Started to second guess myself on some um, of the material, but I turned that noise off, yes. which was the best thing I could have done. So I almost bottled my opener with the telephone and yeah. the miming of the song, etc. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I managed to kind of switch switch that noise down yeah. at least. Um, I felt in my own voice that I maybe started slightly nervously, okay, but that soon went as yeah. soon as you get that first kind of couple of laughs. An acknowledgement, yeah. and you know, could see my brother crying with embarrassment and yeah. laughing. So I was on one knee performing, making plans for Nigel to. <laughs> um, that kind of all disappeared, really. Oh, brilliant. Okay, cool. And so, get to the day itself. Did you do anything? I, I don't know. Best man. When, when Andy was on the show, he was talking about the sort of best man duties as well and fitting it in. I guess people that have roles to play in a wedding that might be doing speeches everything have to was, balance it all out. Yeah, we were lucky in that um, everything was super relaxed. Um, in terms of duties, there weren't really that many. You know, cool. the kids were kind of old enough to dress themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, he. He sort of managed mostly, I think I helped him with his buttonhole and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And other than that, it kind of went okay, really. Brilliant. So you just literally had to turn up, do the speech, basically. Basically, yeah. yeah. And, but from what you said, people loved it. What sort of comments did you get afterwards? Um, loads of really good comments. Um, I think the best one that probably summarises the lot was a note that my sister-in-law forwarded to me from one of her university friends that said... Uh, not only was it a brilliant wedding, but the best man's speech was worthy of a spot at the Apollo. Which oh, wow. was a massive compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I kind of feel like I wouldn't want anyone listening that was planning a best man's speech to feel that that's some kind of benchmark. But hopefully they can just take a little bit out of 
yeah. my comments today and your previous yeah. podcast on best man speech and, and maybe somewhere in the middle they yeah. might find something that suits them. You yeah, yeah. Because I don't think everyone could do it the way I did it. No, but then it wouldn't be right for that occasion. Be, yeah. To uh, basically roast somebody, you've got to really know that they're up for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wasn't completely relentless and heartless, but it was a reasonable roasting. <laughs> but this comes back to, like we've probably said it already today, going at knowing your audience. You've got to do that work to think about what's right, what's wrong, what can I get away with, what's going to resonate, you know, make what's relatable to this audience. Um, well, I knew that stuff. my family had expectations that I was basically just a rude person yeah. and and <laughs> fancied myself as funny. Yeah. I had no idea what my sister-in-law's family thought. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, it was the first time of meeting a lot of these people. Um, so I was taking a risk with 50% of the audience. Yes. Thankfully, that went well with them as well. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. So I was lucky. Oh, brilliant. I'm so pleased it went well. So looking back... Would you have done anything differently? 90% of what I did, I nailed. Yeah. There are a couple of moments where I kind of went off script slightly. Yeah. Even though I wasn't kind of word for word following a script, yeah. I kind of went off at one point. And then looking back, I'm thinking, why did you do that? Yeah. You know, so rehearsing, again, is, is critical for that avoidance of kind of yeah. going off at a tangent and, and suddenly making up a load of waffle. Yeah. So knowing your material well enough yeah. that if you go off, you, you know where to come back to or, or you, you just sort of got that overall structure in place. Yes. Yeah. Def- definitely having something to come back to. Um, and I think uh, ultimately I'd enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, it isn't as painful an experience as you think. It's over very quickly. Yeah. If you're not experienced at public public speaking and you want to kind of have a go at this thing because you've been asked. Yes. Presumably you've been asked because the person asking you thinks that you're reasonably humorous or well-presented. Yeah. Not a total idiot. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, so you've got something going in your favour already that some... At least one person in the room has asked you because they like you. Yeah, and they're an important part of the day, so (laughs) give them some credit. Yeah, so take some confidence from that. Um, If you don't fancy yourself as an out-and-out comedian, maybe think about going down a sincere route. Yeah. And just keep it light and short, you know, three minutes. Why You don't have to do ten. Yeah. You know, just just very brief. Um, Obviously, pay compliments to the people you should pay compliments to. The bride. Yes. The page boys, the bridesmaids, etc., etc. Because there just... is this standard form, isn't there? You're supposed yeah. to follow. Did you? Did you? Were you aware yeah, of that? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of fed that in yeah. quietly towards the end. But I, I, I really emphasised how delighted I was that they were happy. Yeah. And and that was critical. And I, I guess on a really personal front, as opposed to you know a general advice, but on a on a really personal front, I just felt delighted that my brother was in this happy place. He was with somebody that made him smile. Yeah. You know, you it, it kind of oozed. Yes, yeah. You know, it was it was almost freakily unnatural how, yeah. how much happiness there was on the day, which, oh, was, which was fairy tale stuff yeah. for them. Yeah. But I kind of fed off that a little bit. And so when I delivered some sincere kind of comments at the end, I really meant them. Yeah. You know, and I, I kind of, they were properly heartfelt. Brilliant. And that again, it just kind of brought the ship into port, yeah. kind of gently, and, yeah. and finished on a nice note. Yeah. yeah, smashing. So you'd rehearse more. With hindsight, you'd rehearse more if you yeah. did it again yeah. to get that so comfortable that you knew it inside out. Yeah. Pretty much. Although 
if you need notes, use notes. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's true. Yeah. I mean, not everyone can talk without notes. Mm. It was an ambition of mine to do it without notes. Mm. 50% of it was, 50% Mm. of it needed it. Yeah. So... And, you know, if you do, you know, that's Don't beat that's yourself fine. up on that, definitely. Cool. Uh, so any any last-minute tips? Choose something that suits you and your personality best. Um, be self-aware as well of maybe any verbal tics that you've got. Right. Um, so if you're in the habit of starting a sentence with the same word each time. Yeah. Some people start a sentence with so, yeah. for instance, you know. Try and draw back from that. I think just... Relax into it. Yeah, and enjoy it. Whatever happens, what, yeah. what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Is, did you ever think that? What's the worst that can happen? Oh, yeah. Well, the worst that could happen is that I'd soil myself on stage and, <laughs> and have to walk out in an embarrassed mess. But, you know, that, thankfully that didn't happen. And I'm pretty sure that in, in most speech, you know, don't shy away from being best friend of that because I'm yeah. pretty sure that's very, yeah. very, very I mean, I almost, I almost used the Stuart Lee stunt of uh, randomly allowing my trousers to fall down halfway through, but I just thought, no, that's going too far. You know, there were some small children there. So. Brilliant, brilliant. That's brilliant, Chris. Thank you for sharing all of that stuff. Now, I, I've got some standard questions that I always ask all my guests. You, you're going to get them too. Um, number? <laughs> no, not that, no. Um, first of all, what is the best thing that speaking has done for you? It's given me a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in day-to-day life. Um, it's opened some doors for me. It's useful in business to yeah. come across as confident and um, well-spoken. It's actually helped my written work. So as oh, part of my yeah. graphic design job, I also offer a bit of copywriting to people mm. as well. So I do a lot of editorial work for brochures and newsletters. It's really helped my writing. Oh, interesting. Um, so it's it's made me shorter and snappier with some of that as well. Mm-hmm. I think the writing side of... of um, of doing the speaking, yeah. if you like, has taught me as much as, as actually doing the speaking. Yeah, yeah. Know, actually the editing process, yeah. the kind of day-to-day kind of thinking. Yeah, and I think that's really, you know, it's it's a big part of speaking that people don't always pay enough attention to. You know, in the corporate world, people will throw up some PowerPoint slides and read out the bullets, and mm. that isn't that isn't great. And, you know, so taking the time to craft something you know, if you've got the time, but even if you haven't, a quick narrative, a beginning, a middle and end, yeah. and a story for each, you know, that would be, you know, something to do. I've met very few people in business who are natural, kind of cocksure people that can get up without a script and mm. freestyle it. Mm. Th- that's very rare. Mm. If you can do that, then, you know, hats off to you for that. But, mm. but for me, I've tried that occasionally, and it, it's abysmal. Yeah. It's really abysmal. You know, preparation is key. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. Okay. And what's the worst speaking or comedy gig that you've ever had? Has there been one that you've like, oh, no. I think some rehearsals have been terrible. And you've witnessed at least one of those, <laughs> I'm sure. But, um, yeah. And, and But the great thing is that that's a safe place to screw up. Yeah. Um, so that's why rehearsal's critical, yeah. I think. You know, listen back to yourself. Record yourself when you're yes. doing it as well. You know? Yeah. So... I think going back to tips for um, speakers, mm. I would also avoid little kind of things like, but seriously. Oh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I Yeah, I always coach people to steer away from that. What? Um, that doesn't need explaining. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rhythm of your speech should kind of 
Yeah. People should be able to be intelligent enough to understand which bit of your speech is funny and which bit of it is serious and, and, and well-meaning. Yeah. You know. Okay, cool. And uh, what's the book that's had most impact on your life and why? It can be fiction or non-fiction. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that question. I guess I like writers that have unusual rhythms. J.G. Ballard, an amazing science fiction writer, also wrote Empire of the Sun, which is sort of semi-autobiographical. Um, his writing is kind of edgy and it's yeah. cryptic and it's kind of disturbing and I yeah. like that as well. I like writers that take you down a route that you're not expecting. Ian Banks, The Wasp Factory is an amazing book, you know, which was his first kind of... I've never read it. I've oh. not, most of these you're talking about I've not read actually. Well, they're all books that make you feel uncomfortable and, and kind of make you think about things differently. Is it like the literary equivalent to like the Black Mirror concept? That sort yeah, of... Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Similar to that kind of idea of reinventing reality somehow, um, yeah. playing with people's expectations. I'd, I'd stick on Wasp Factory, okay. just, just for something that really kind of grabbed me and took me on a, you know, it was my generation's kind of version of Catcher in the Rye, I guess, That's that kind of thing. And the author again was... Ian, Ian Banks. Ian Banks. Yeah. Um, What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why? Get the money in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all about cash flow, you mean? Like yeah, it's all about thing. cash flow. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think um, I once worked with a sales director whose hobby was um, invoicing so late that it, he would, you know, he would almost cripple the business for cash flow. Um, and, and I think that's one of the most offensively stupid things you can do in business. You know, yeah. keep on top of your cash flow and then... Hopefully, as long as your clients are playing ball. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm lucky to have clients that pay me regularly and on time. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, I think that's critical. Cool. No, that's very good. Um, okay, last question. If you could have one mentor, and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Don McCullen. Okay. Photographer. Excellent. Yeah. Tell um, me about him. He's a photographer that's worked in uh, conflict zones. He's um, legendary for people that know him and are aware of him. Um, his work used to be published in the Sunday Times when it would actually publish human interest stories rather than glamour shoots with sports people or whatever. Yeah. Um, so you'd get photo stories back in the day from the war, the, uh, war in Cyprus, uh, wars in Africa, Obviously, the Middle East, he's been in Iraq, places like this. Um, he's been recently, he's revisited Palmyra to see the destruction caused by ISIS. Um, and he's somebody that works hard. And I saw his retrospective recently um, of his own work. And what was amazing was that he'd printed his own stuff as well. He'd actually gone in the dark room and he, had, he didn't have an army of assistants. Gosh. He would print his own work. And I, I really admire him for that. I think out of all the photographers, you know, he's he's kind of up there. Um, so yeah, if, if even a day with him would be heaven, really, just to kind of walk along and listen to him talking about photography and what what he thought made a good photograph would be amazing. Brilliant. Okay. Cool. Thank you for for all of that. Thank you for sharing all about the speech. Now, if people want to go and find out more about what you do maybe go and buy the end of the peer show book and you know see some of your work where's the best place to do that yeah my current cropper work is actually on my personal instagram which is count underscore christoph 
Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes as well. That'd be lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah, so I'm doing a photo a day project there, all in black and white. I've been doing that for the last two years. And again, I'm trying to disrupt people's expectations. Okay. So I'm doing some deliberately oddball stuff in, in there as well. So, you know, rather than just standard kind of landscapes or portraits, I'm doing some odd abstract stuff. So definitely, we'll go and, go and check that out. Yeah, um, and my main business is waddelldigital.co.uk. You can find a link in there for a book, but also, you know, there's uh, other bits of photography I've done. There's fairly standard commercial work. There's bits of landscape. There's, you know, there's, there's something for everyone there. But, um, yeah, I'm really enjoying my photo day project because, again, it's that idea of playing with people's expectations yeah. and occasionally deliberately upsetting them. Yeah. Is that, there's been like a golden thread through everything that you've said, like in, in terms of comics that you like, books that you've read, the way you did your speech. That's interesting. Where, where's that come from? Um, I guess being a belligerent teenager still in my 50s. Um, <laughs> not growing up. Yeah, actually. not growing up. Um, yeah, I... I was that kid at school that, you know, if yeah, I, if the teacher told us we had to do something, I'd be the little kid that'd say, well, why do we have to do that? It doesn't make any sense. I really like the idea that someone somewhere is looking at my Instagram feed and thinking, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. I really like that idea, yeah. as opposed to people going, oh, I love all your photos. <laughs> I don't care. I really, I honestly don't care anymore, you know, because I just think that people should kind of say, right, well, this is what I enjoy doing. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm playing with some different ideas here. Yeah. Um, and I'm not working to your expectations. And I think that comes with age as well, the confidence of taking that teenage belligerence and turning it into actually a determination. Yeah. Where you're just saying, no, I think I'm going to do this slightly differently. But that is how you find your tribe. Like, that's what I say, marketing and speaking, is if you don't take a stand, if you don't, sh you know, show what you believe in, what you, you know, that you won't get your tribe the people you know you don't want to please everyone it's a mistake yeah so... and I've, I've reached a point very much in the last two years where I've kind of felt you know you can't please everyone all the time there's no point in trying yeah um I treat my clients like their family you yeah. know I try and keep them on side I don't try and upset them too much clearly because yeah. it's important but equally I like to challenge them sometimes as well yeah. and say, well, you've given me this copy, but do you think it might sound better if we did it like this? Yeah, yeah. And, and not being afraid to just challenge people occasionally. You don't have to do it rudely. No. Um, with some people, yes, that might be appropriate. <laughs> but, you know, I think you can adjust your approach depending on, on the person. So go and check out the Instagram, see Chris's odd... Uh, non-conforming yeah. well, <laughs> Instagram so, photos. Some, some people might be even less conformist than yeah. I am and think that they're quite vanilla. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm just exploring some different ideas, really. Brilliant. Well, like I said, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about the speech and, and all these other nuggets of uh, wisdom that you've shared today. So I really appreciate it. So go and check out Chris's Instagram account, underscore, underscore, Christoph. Yep. And waddeldigital.co.uk or .com? Uh, .co.uk. And you're on Twitter as well, aren't you? Uh, yeah, my my account underscore Christoph Twitter is is where I'm kind of more transparent. Yeah. My Waddell Digital Twitter is more professional. Yeah. Um, so if you want to see the belligerent rebel Chris, <laughs> yeah. go to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, if anyone knows rude kid from Viz, that's me. <laughs> yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, like I say, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. There you go. Thanks. Thank you. Oh, well, there you are. 
I had fun doing that show. I'm sure if you're going to be doing a wedding speech or any sort of presentation, actually, the things we covered will help you raise your game. Just don't forget that the most important point for any talk is the audience. Keep them in mind when you're creating your strategy and your content and you won't go far wrong. Also, don't forget to go and have a look at Chris's Instagram at count underscore Christoph. As ever, thank you so much for listening and remember to check out storyledspeaking.com. If you know that you want to improve your public speaking, then you need to jump on this opportunity to work with me in a small group at a discounted price. I'm going to show you what's possible with your public speaking so that you can fulfill your potential and move closer to achieving your goals and dreams. But you've only got till Sunday, 18th of August to get your space as we kick off next week. Excellent. If you're a regular listener, please leave a rating or review at iTunes. And if you're new and want to hear more, then make sure you subscribe. Thank you so much again. And don't forget to go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Thanks for listening to the Speaking Club podcast at www.saraharcher.co.uk.